I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Well, last week we talked about a superhero. This time we're talking also about a superhero, but not uh, a Marvel hero. One of the rare superheroes that Disney uh, doesn't have for Marvel. Yeah. And And a superhero made before they even thought about buying Marvel. Marvel really was not this is 1991 Marvel was not really the you know the MCU was only a dream in someone's eye at the time I don't even think it was that I'm I'm not even sure anybody had really had the idea all we had was a rubber suit Captain America with rubber ears and a fantastic movie that was shelved yeah at least as far as Marvel properties went um you know, we'd we'd had the the Tim Burton Batman. Yeah, this one's one of those movies that kind of came out as a result of the popularity of the Tim Burton Batman. Every studio worth their weight was taking any hero, any comic book hero, any comic strip character that they could get the rights to and making movies out of them. Uh, we're talking about the Rocketeer, but you also have Dick Tracy, the Shadow, the the Phantom, the Mask. There was even a Brenda Starr movie, which also stars someone that's in this movie. <laughs> it was that weird time period in the late 80s, early 90s, where the Michael Keaton Batman had proven that, yeah, the the rare comic book movie could make bank but the prevailing attitude was that in general comic book movies were not marketable until you know 1999 blade but we're far from that at this point yeah the so the idea of the rocketeer i think it was years after i first saw this movie that i even knew it was based on a comic book. Yeah, the comic book came out in 1982. Disney actually picked up film rights a year later, kind of sat on it. And then Batman came out and said, well, we got to do our own superhero movies. Who do we own? Oh, we own this this 80s comic book that was a tribute to 30s comics. Let's make a movie out of it. In the 30s, you know, it's very pulp in this movie. It's very... You know, it's 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 Indiana Jones is a superhero, but though some people will say Indiana Jones is already a superhero. Yeah, it was a the original comic was kind of taken off of a lot of those 1930s serials, which also was the inspiration for Indiana Jones. We talked about in our Indiana Jones episode. Um, So it takes a lot especially the look takes a lot from things like commando cody the original comic was a little bit more adult oriented um so 
It was a, a little bit more violent, I'm given to believe. Like the OG Ninja Turtle comics back in the day? I, I don't think it was that over the top, but I'm given to understand. I don't know a lot about the original comics, but it was one of those imprints. It was originally Pacific Comics, so it was an indie uh, comics things. It's still owned by IDW um, now, but it was a more independent uh, publishing idea, and the one of the major changes when Disney got a hold of it was definitely in the character Jennifer Connelly ends up playing which is the the girlfriend of our hero. It is my understanding that in the original comic, she was based directly off of um, Betty Page. Oh, yeah, you can tell in the way they made her hair look <laughs> in this movie. I was, I was going to mention that, yeah. Well, no, what I mean is in the comic, she is directly based off of Betty Page, as in she is... Pin-up? Like a pinup nude model. Hmm. And all of that was removed, and she's made a very naive, bubbly ingenue who's trying to break into acting and is perhaps not gifted with much gray matter in the skull. You know? <laughs> um,. She's very childlike innocent instead of, like I said, my understanding of the comic, I've, I've not actually read the original Rocketeer comics, um, but my understanding is that she was more worldly wise adult woman um, who was very Betty Page, very assured in her sexuality, very, you know. Um, and Disney got a hold of the property and was like, oh, wow, kids would love to buy a toy of a guy in a rocket suit. Make it basically bloodless and something, something cute girlfriend and, you know, tone it down a lot. Disney-fy it. Yeah, and so it really got the the Disney treatment in all of the kind of sad, saccharine, <laughs> you know. Um, and and this, this was originally a touch-tone movie. They could have gone further if they wanted to. Well, yes, and apparently it was Katzenberg's idea. He was still working at the studio at the time, and... It, uh, it is my understanding that Katzenberg was like, this would make for good toys. Let's do it under the Walt Disney Pictures brand. And then they and, never made the toys. <laughs> and then, yeah, then somebody drops the ball or something and it, it was the never movie the didn't, toy yeah, line. The movie bombed and then they never made the toys. Uh, so, yeah, all of the Disneyfication that happened to the film perhaps was not required and it might have done a little better if they'd have aged it up a little again this is coming off just a few years after that tim burton batman which really held nothing back to go to this movie which 
by the definition of being a Disney film, is holding back. Yeah. Um, it really is kind of an interesting thing. I think that if they'd had, you know, I hate the term edgy, um, and I, I'm not really a fan of dark and edgy, but you can go colorful and edgy. And I will remind you that this director who did The Rocketeer is the same director that when the MCU got started, they pulled in for Captain America, the first Avenger. So you want to talk about a guy who knows superheroes and Nazi punching, they'd bring him back to do that again. And they kind of let him do whatever he wanted. Yeah. And, 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 and by that Captain point, yeah. they they were like, you know, hey, put a put a little bit of an edge onto it. And I'm not saying that that's like a really adult film or anything, but it wasn't holding back. It's not the kind of, you know, if you compare those two films side by side, it is still a wholesome film, but Captain America seems so much more adult authentic. compared to The Rocketeer. I was going I was, I was to say authentic. Like, yeah, it does. There's it, parts of this movie that doesn't feel authentic, if that makes sense to anyone. You know? Yeah, and and I, I want to be clear here that I don't think either of us wish to knock The Rocketeer as a film. Disney actually put a little love to this movie because last year when they did Disney Plus Day and they did those one-day releases of Disney films, this was one of those films that got shown in theaters for that one day. So, and this the movie does have its fans. It's a cult classic is is probably the best way to describe this movie over the years. So there's people within Disney that do have the love for this movie. And it kind of does deserve it. I just wish that they were allowed to take the gloves off and, and really go as far as they could. It doesn't have to be an R rating. You could still have PG-13. Again, Touchstone Pictures usually did that. You could have gone that extra bit instead of pulling back and saying, we're going to release this under the Walt Disney banner. They got a pretty good cast for this. However, the director had to fight tooth and nail for our star to be here. Apparently, uh, the the higher ups wanted a, a more seasoned actor, a more famous actor. But uh, we get Billy Campbell as our hero, Cliff Secord, the Rocketeer. Yeah, the... Interesting thing is, I had forgotten that he is the one who played the Rocketeer. And since this film, he had gone on to play the primary villain in one of my favorite TV shows. And that's how he stuck in my brain, personally. Mm-hmm. I do not remember him as the Rocketeer. I remember him as uh, the villain from the 4400. <laughs> um, in the original 4400, because they've remade the series now, um, he played Jordan Collier, who is a 
guy who starts a cult and is the kind of main villain of the series. Um, it's a really good show. You should go watch it. In my brain, he's that guy. He's like the evil villain dude mm. with superpowers. So and to see the, the evil dude with superpowers play the good guy with a rocket. Yeah, and and so, you know, he's like 15 years older or whatever by the time of that series. And he's got kind of a scruffy beard and, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's really smarmy. And that's how he stuck in my brain. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is for people who watch Star Trek, and this is going to come up a lot in this movie for people who watch star trek uh you might have remembered him as the outrageous okona in the episode of the same title which if you don't remember the episode that's the episode where data does stand up uh. <laughs> um so yeah there's there's an episode where Data tries to do stand up, but the uh, a plot to that episode uh, features Billy Campbell and uh, also Terry Hatcher before she got famous. So, uh, but yeah, uh, interestingly, he was also up for the part of Commander Riker. He of course lost that out to Jonathan Frakes, but they remembered him enough to bring him back for that role. Uh, but yeah, in here as the Rocketeer. So when I, when I started up and I was like, wait a minute, that's who played the Rocketeer. Uh, he'd also been on dynasty and in the, um, tales of the city, uh, as well. Uh, interesting, interesting career he has had still working, but, of course, I, I name-dropped her before, but uh, playing our love interest here, uh, Jenny, is uh, Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer playing Jenny. Yeah. Uh, and they I mean, changed, yeah, they, they, they they do changed make her, her name from the comic, because in the comic, I do believe she's named Betty, because she was the, supposed to be, you know, Betty, Betty Page. Page. But they give her the Betty Page hairstyle in the movie. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of a common popular hairstyle at the time, so, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, come on. You know Jennifer Connelly. She was in Labyrinth. You don't need to know anything more about her. Uh, <laughs> honestly. No, we, ta we talked about her more when we, when we talked about, uh, her doing the, the voice of the assistant Karen in, um, in Spider-Man, Spider uh, Homecoming. Yeah, no, she she is uh, adorable here for what she gets, and uh, sadly that is not a lot because of the way they changed the character. But we will get into that later. They seem oh. to be playing up something because they because they call her Lady Luck, and that does sound like a, a potential hero name in the future. I mean, you know, if there had ever been a sequel, maybe we'd have gotten into that. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? But I doubt it because I don't think they were terribly that interested. What I know about most of the versions of this film script that came across the desk is they kept making her just a damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. 
Um, apparently there had to be many, many rewrites to get as good of a character as we got for her. They, they rewrote it to that level is what it seems to be. Apparently all of the, all of the original ones were even less for her, which is kind of just, I'm going to say it's so much cringe. (laughs) Just, ugh. Our kind of uh, sidekick to the hero here is played by Alan Arkin, uh, who is another one of those that has just had such a long career that where do you even start? But uh, recently he did uh, a series called Kaminsky Method for Netflix. Also, he's uh been on bojack horseman recently also for netflix uh just before this was made he had just come off of doing edward scissorhands but probably uh one of the things that got him most acclaim for his film career was he he got the oscar for little miss sunshine the interesting thing though i will say is in the casting of our villain um, because they went through uh, a couple of people before we got to the actor that we ended up on because the villain part, Neville Sinclair, our dashing British actor here, they offered it to Jeremy Irons, apparently, at first, and he turned it down. And then they offered it to Charles Dance. And he also turned it down. So who we ended up getting was Timothy Dalton. Yeah, Timothy Dalton, uh, one of the many James Bonds. Yeah, one of the one of the many James Bonds. Uh, he had been, uh, I do believe, the most recent James Bond at the the point. And I'll bring it up. He was in that Brenda Starr movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's who you were talking about earlier in the Brenda Starr movie. But, um, there, there is the, the bit, you know, they, they needed, uh, the, the kind of, uh, dashing, uh, British actor who could also kind of be villainous, but they wanted his villainy to be a bit of a surprise, I think. So, uh, I mean, they have him do some dialogue that he's only doing this against as well. And it's like, it's not his choice to be, to doing the bad stuff. And then when we finally get the truth revealed, he goes full mustache twirling Waha villain. Yeah. Uh, Interestingly though, I think having the, oh look, James Bond is a spy. But evil is kind of an interesting twist. I'm not sure if it would have worked the same way uh, if you'd had Jeremy Irons or Charles Dance, because even at the time, both of them were kind of more known for just kind of outright villain parts. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas Timothy Dalton at the time was Bond. So, at the time the film premiered, it was, you know, 
slightly against type, although the film does tip its hand very early. You know, it's not super um, twist because, you know, you, you find out like two scenes in or whatever that he's working with the bad guys. But the twist that like, not only is he a bad guy, but also a Nazi, you know, uh, is is a little more um, of a twist. Another kind of interesting one. Uh, this this cast is full of like interesting character actors and and stuff, especially if you watch a lot of genre television. Um, but we get. Playing a fictionalized version of Howard Hughes here, played by Terry O'Quinn, who, if you watched uh, the Lost uh, TV series, uh, he played John Locke in that. It's funny to see him here with hair. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah. Um, Also, I mean, again, if you watch... Star Trek, he was in the Next Generation episode, The Pegasus, um, as Riker's old captain, who takes them on a dangerous mission. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's kind of cool to see him here. Interestingly, you want to talk about Marvel connections. They were going to try to put the Rocketeer, the the character, in the What If series on Disney+. Hmm. Plus. Hmm. He was going to be in the... Uh, the Captain the first, Carter episode? Yeah, the, the, the first episode about Captain Carter. But the thing that kept them from putting the character into the MCU... Strangely, it's not the fact that this is not a Marvel character, um, because I guess Disney just doesn't care anymore. Uh, It was the fact that Howard Stark and Howard Hughes are too much alike, probably because, you know, Howard Stark was pulled from Howard Hughes, you know, as a... But they, they thought that that might confuse people. I mean, it's it's, it's not it, it's not like Disney doesn't still own the rights to the character. Like, not long ago, they did a, a Rocketeer series for their Disney Junior brand. So they still have rights to the character. Uh, Billy Campbell actually returned to do the voice of of Cliff for for that series. One of the uh, the henchmen that is working with our villain, the uh, mobster Eddie Valentine, gets played by Paul Sorvino. Uh, another one of those actors that's just been in everything. Uh, you Always know, playing but, a gangster, though. N- 
Well, uh, I was going to say, well, not always, but then I remembered, yes, in that movie they made him a gangster, too, because I was going to say one of the things our generation remembers him most for is he was in the Baz Luhrmann Romeo plus Juliet, uh, where he played Papa Capulet. And I was going to say, well, he's not always a gangster, but then I remembered, yeah, Baz Luhrmann just made them gangsters in that film. But yeah, he he was uh, in Goodfellas and... His IMDb page is just so, so long. And again, if you watch Star Trek, <laughs> you'll remember him as uh, Nikolai Rojinko. You know, so he's uh, related to Worf there <laughs> by, uh, by adoption, of course. This is the if you watch Star Trek episode. Um, <laughs> talking about all of the character actors you know and love, this movie is full of them. Let's just run down the list uh, real quick here uh, who we can fit in. We get appearances by uh, William Sanderson, who I think a lot of people will remember best as, Hi, I'm Larry, and this is my brother Daryl and my other brother Daryl. So if you watch Newhart, you'll remember him. He was also on uh, Deadwood, and he was the sheriff on True Blood. So, but, uh, you know, he's one of those character actors that was in everything. Everything. He was in everything. So uh, he he retired from acting back in 2020. Uh, we also get the wonderful Margot Martindale, who is... Again, another one of those actors who's in just everything. Uh, I loved her on Dexter and her turn on the Americans. But she's in this as the woman who runs the cafe they're always hanging out in. And we get a very short cameo from Clint Howard. In this. this is like the fifth or sixth movie we've talked about that Clint Howard has been in. Yeah, Clint Howard has been in everything. Once again, if you watch Star Trek. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, again, if you watch Star Trek, the uh, the gangster that steals the briefcase that contains the uh, rocket at the beginning of the film is played by Max Grodenchik, who uh, people will best remember as Quark's brother Rom. In Deep Space Nine. Uh, and the uh, guy who plays Lothar, the very, very tall henchman in here, uh, was played by an actor who was also on a lot of Star Trek. Uh, and he uh, played uh, the character of Meherdu, which was the Grand Nagus's servant that always followed him around. Tiny Ron uh, was his name, but uh, Tiny Ron and Max Grodenchik worked together a lot on Deep Space Nine, so it's funny to see them have a little scene here. And uh, again, he's under a lot of makeup. And again, he is under a lot of makeup because they've tried to make him look like a Dick Tracy villain. You know? Yeah. They've tried to get that same kind of uh, look. 
but trying, um, trying a little too hard for that transfer from page to screen. Yeah, um, but it it is kind of interesting seeing him here. But uh, yeah, so uh, it it is funny to see T- Tiny Ron and Max Grodenchik, uh in a completely different context. Uh, the makeup they put on Tiny, yeah, the makeup they put on Tiny Ron makes it very hard for him to emote. Because you, you, even when he's talking, I don't know if that's his voice or not. Like you can't see his lips enunciate because it's rah, 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 rah. whatever yeah. prosthetic they put on his face. I don't. Yeah, I have no idea if uh, if that's like how intentional that that was, but uh, it is kind of interesting. The other one that I kind of wanted to mention uh, is. They la- the uh, club singer uh, with the band uh, that's in the restaurant they keep going to uh, that uh, Timothy Dalton keeps taking Jennifer Connelly to is played by Melora Hardin and probably her best known uh, role is on The Office where she played the character of Jan. She was also in uh, Monk, uh, the TV series Monk, where she played Trudy. The interesting thing to me uh, was is that she's the daughter of um, Jerry Harden, who played Deep Throat in the X Files. <laughs> Um, so I had never, I had never watched The Office or Monk, um, so I didn't know who she was, uh, until she appeared on Dancing with the Stars recently, um, and she was, she had brought on her parents at one point, and she was like, oh, and here's my dad, his name is Jerry, and I was like, wait, what? (laughs) It's like, so uh, that was really uh, cool. But she's got a beautiful voice, uh, and she's the the singer in this. Such a such a weird and interesting uh, cast in this because it's everybody in this is just kind of like, wait a minute, I I know you from like twelve other things. This whole cast is full of it. Hey, it's that guy. Yeah. So. And in, we, we do get care. Uh, you mentioned a fictionalized version of Howard Hughes. We also get fictionalized versions of Clark Gable and W.C. Fields. The guy who plays W.C. Fields. Flawless impression, by the way. Yeah, I will say that as far as fictionalized versions of people, I do want to mention where our villain comes from in this. Because the character of Neville Sinclair, as he's called in this, comes from a very interesting place. He's based very obviously off of Errol Flynn, the swashbuckling movie star uh, from old Hollywood films. But the bizarre thing is, is that there was one guy who wrote a biography of Errol Flynn after his death. This guy, his name was Charles Hyam, 
wrote this biography of Errol Flynn that was like, oh, and now the secret story of Errol Flynn that you never knew. Uh, and he basically was like, oh, yeah, uh, Errol Flynn was a Nazi spy. That that whole time he was just uh, a spy for the Germans. And it was like this huge bombshell biography. And the thing is, is that there's no real evidence for this. And Errol Flynn's uh, family tried to sue the guy. And it... And the publisher, like, they, they tried to sue over the book. It was dismissed because apparently a dead person can't be libeled. <laughs> I don't know if they've ever changed that, but apparently at the time, um, that was the law. The thing is, is that the guy said, like, no, I I totally talked to somebody who worked in British intelligence, and they said they saw Errol Flynn's file, and, like, British intelligence totally knew he was a spy, and eventually they got the guy to say that he never actually saw the files himself, and he was just trusting the word of somebody who says they saw some paperwork or what. And basically, nobody's ever been able to prove or disprove it or disprove it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's never been disproven. But if you come out and you're like, hey, you did a thing kind of on you to prove that anyway, (laughs) that is basically where we got the idea of this guy in this movie. Like, okay, well, what if that were actually true? What if there was this Errol Flynn like guy? You know, this dashing Hollywood star who actually was working for the Nazis. Now, the idea of Howard Hughes being like, oh, he's working on a rocket jetpack or whatever. Well, I mean, he did work on a lot of experimental aircraft they even play into that at the at the climax of the movie where 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 cliff is is flying on one of hughes's models and he'll say it will fly (laughs) yeah i mean it's a thing he did do some work with the uh war production board which was a part of the U.S. government. It wasn't technically part of the military, but it was part of the U.S. government that was trying to, you know, new new uh, technologies in connection with uh, the war effort. Did he ever work on a rocket pack? I don't know that for certain, but uh, yeah. So it is kind of interesting to have him here in in the film portrayed kind of in that way yeah so let's get into the story here so like you said uh as you said howard hughes is working on this experimental jet pack and uh, we find out later in the movie that the germans are also working on it all a similar experimental jet pack that doesn't work that that you know they can never get it to fly without exploding and there's this really 
really well animated propaganda film that they show where the plan is to arm all of their soldiers with jetpacks and just take over the United States. Make it one huge land of uh, white supremacists. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uncomfortable. At least it was animated well. I mean, this was Disney working on it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> so Neville Sinclair sends the Valentine gang to steal the rocket from Howard Hughes. As this is happening, we have Cliff, who is a stunt pilot flying their new flying his new stunt craft because he's trying to get into what they call the Nationals. National air show performances. I mean, that's kind of what he does. That's his uh, his bread and butter. He's a stunt pilot. That's what he does. So he's it's a situation of being in the wrong place at the wrong time as he ends up in the middle of a shootout between the Valentine gang, the cops, and the feds. And the plane is totaled. It's shot at. It is completely total by the time it lands. There goes Nationals. Yeah, and the uh, little henchman here, Wilmer, uh, who is in possession of the briefcase carrying the rocket. The only member of the Valentine gang to survive the shootout. Yeah. He crashes into the airplane hangar and has the quick thinking to ditch the rocket in the cockpit of one of the planes and replace it instead with a vacuum cleaner before crashing the car into a gasoline truck and exploding the car and the vacuum cleaner to distract the feds. Um, the feds, not really knowing what the rocket ever looked like, they think, oh, well, this hunk of metal we've retrieved, that certainly looks sort of like a rocket melted from the flames. All right, well, it was destroyed. Let's all go home, boys. So, yeah, they, so, as far as Howard Hughes is concerned, the the rocket is lost. Until he actually gets the the the, the rubble and said, "Hey, this uh, unfortunately, this vacuum cleaner will never clean again." Well, yeah, the, it it doesn't hit them though until after they see a guy flying around with the rocket pack. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. They. they uh. Cliff finds the rocket in his pl- in his plane. They realize this is what the fed. This is, must have been what the feds were after, since their stunt plane is destroyed. They need a new gimmick to get into the stunt show. So they can make some money. So Cliff decides I'm going to wear this jetpack. I'm going to make it part of my stunt show. And make some money. PD, his mechanics, and you know they're looking for this thing. If you go out there with this thing on your back, they're going to think you stole it. They're going to come for us. And he's not wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's the only one in the world that, you know, uh, once people see it, that's the, the news is going to start spreading. There is, when he uses it at the stunt show to save a friend, you know, another friend gets uh, into danger by trying to pilot 
an old plane. It's a really weird setup, you know. It's like, oh, for reasons, his friend gets into an old plane while possibly drunk or something to try to save Cliff's job. Because if he doesn't fly, then he's out of the show or something, you know, whatever. But Cliff has to go save him or else he's going to die. And he has to put on the rocket and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But because it was a big regional stunt show or whatever, there's film cameras there to to get newsreel footage. And so they do capture film of him saving this guy with the rocket pack. Um, And the news dubs him the Rocketeer. Yeah. Uh, And of course there's, there's, Newspaper reporters and all that kind of stuff, which does lead to the funniest line and also the line that makes you kind of hate the screenwriter the most, Mm. which is later on in the film when he finally reveals his identity to his girlfriend and he says, you know, I'm I'm the rocketeer and he expects this big reaction. She's like the rock of what now? And he don't says, you don't, don't, don't you read the papers? And she says, well, I've been working all day. And that's the thing they put in the trailer. Because <laughs> that's yeah. the thing I do remember was in the original trailer was that was that scene. I'm the Rocketeer, the Rocket what now? <laughs> yeah, and I'm and I'm thinking like, well, it's been like three days or whatever. And you got fired from the film. And also you're an extra and extras on films mostly just kind of stand around as, as people, you know, we know people who are extras on films. Yeah. We, we know people who, who are just kind of professional extras. So, you know, we, we know how that goes, but it's like, yeah, you're, you, you would have just been like reading the, paper and discussing the day's news with the other extras next to the craft service table like I come on when they really get into the idea of all right there's there's something going on here uh and we've gotta we gotta use the the rocket for just a little bit to get a little bit of money we're going to keep it hidden who we are because we know somebody's going to come looking for this thing. At first, they just think it's the feds. They don't realize that there's gangsters looking for them. They decide to keep it a secret who they are. So we get our nice uh, superhero, you know, hidden identity. And we get the romance side plot here that Cliff has his girlfriend Jenny who is just gotten a small role or she's just auditioned for a role in Sinclair's film and she hopes it's going to be the part of the princess or whoever who gets to say the the romantic line and have the romantic kiss with the the lead. But we discover when we see her in her first day on set that, you know, she's just the, the extra, 
because even though everybody knows she had the best line reading, uh, the producer's niece or somebody also wanted a part. So even though she is just the worst actress and keeps <laughs> screwing up take after take, she got the part because, well, you know, pro- producer's niece or whatever. It's not what you know, it's who you know. That's what they keep saying. The uh, so This actually goes into the part of the, I guess you call it the B plot, the love story between Cliff and Jenny is that Cliff, doesn't really like the idea of Jenny being an actor. And Jenny really wants Cliff to do more than just stunt flying. And that's that seems to be their their argument in their relationship. Like, you know, when, when Jenny finds out that Cliff was in a crash, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, everyone knew because they were at the airport and you weren't. And Jenny is just like, I'm working on my career. I want to be an actor. This is what I want to do. So, yeah, Cliff is kind of a, of, of, of a D-bag for part of this movie and kind of shutting down Jenny's dream of being an actor. Yeah, he, he doesn't particularly treat her all that well. Um, we don't really see where he's that great of a boyfriend. But he carries her picture around. He kisses the picture every time he goes on the flight. I mean, it's 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 Peavy that pretty much says, you know, what is it that you want? What it, you know, what's more important to you? Because if you let that girl go, it's going to be your fault. Even when they they agree that they're going to give the the rocket back to the feds, he straight up says, "I got to use the rocket one more time because if if anything happens to her, I won't forgive myself for it." He seems to actually have genuine love for Jenny. He just seems to not really support her dream of being an actor, which is very weird. Yeah, but at the same time, it's kind of we're told that they're in love, but we're never actually shown that they're doing anything for each other. She never particularly shows up for him. I mean, she's she's got a job and everything, so you can say, you know, she was on set or whatever but there's you know once or twice that she kind of gets fired and maybe she's not working or whatever so where is she they have one or two dates i guess but for most of the movie she's just kind of not around he does show up to the set at one point to see her and knock the set down (laughs) but that it's a closed set. So we know that she didn't invite him because she would have understood that it was a closed set and that you can't have people come visit you. So he just found out where she was working. Snuck onto the set. And snuck onto the set to tell her about what was going on in his life. And almost kills one of the actors. And almost kills one of the actors, yeah. Because... Um, because they're filming a fight scene, the set comes down, and Sinclair accidentally stabs his co-star. Why are they using uh, real pointy swords? Who uh, okay, I don't know. Well, but, even even if you're using a blunted sword, if there is actually any metal involved, I mean, go get a butter knife out of your kitchen. It's still made out of metal. You know, it's it's blunt, but you know, if you put enough force behind it, it's still metal. 
even if you're not intending to stab someone, accidents can happen. Um, and yeah, so yeah, Cliff almost kills one of the stars of the movie, and that's why Jenny is fired from the movie. But even in the middle of getting her fired, it's not like, hey, sorry, I got you fired and ruined your big break. He does sort of quickly apologize for, you know, almost killing a dude. But he is still in the middle of her being fired. More interested in being like, hey, let me tell you about this cool jetpack I found. Which, I get it, you found a jetpack and that is really cool. I'm with you on how cool that is, buddy. But you almost killed a dude. Actually, he almost killed two dudes because he did just collapse like a whole entire scenery wall onto a guy. The star of the movie. Causing him to stab another guy. Can you at least wait until we're in the car driving home to talk about how cool your jetpack is? But Sinclair hears jetpack. Oh, he has my jetpack or the jetpack that I want. Again, there's only one. It's not talking. It's not like he's talking about another jetpack. Yeah. Well, he has the jetpack, and okay, he has my rocket. So we know that he knows this Jenny girl. I'm going to seduce this Jenny girl. And then uh, this guy is going to give me what I want. I love how they set this up that he's barely heard his voice. And because the set crashing on Sinclair doesn't know what the guy looks like. They never actually meet face to face until that dinner scene. Yeah. So I I, I do like that it's not that we, we don't have our hero and our villain face to face just yet. It's really a good bit of screenwriting how they manage to keep the villain from seeing the face of the hero. Um, you know, the the villain is a famous movie star, so the hero knows what he looks like, but the hero, uh, the villain only has the hero's name and his relationship to this girl. You know, we have the, the bit where now we're sending henchmen to the cafe near the airfield to try to find uh, Cliff and they torture Peavy or they start to until they notice Jenny's number written by the payphone. Um, and then they're, they start thinking it's all an inside job because the girl that the boss is seeing is also this dude's boyfriend what the hell is going on here? Yeah, so they, they think that maybe Sinclair has double-crossed them, uh, not realizing that, you know, they're all looking for the same guy. Because they had, they had gone to the airfield to try to figure out. They had tortured and killed one of the guys that worked at the airfield, and they had gotten Cliff's name. So they're all ending up kind of at the same place. Uh, just by different means, you know, the the mobsters and Sinclair are all looking for the same mm-hmm. same people. But the sad thing is, is that Jennifer Connelly is such a good actress, and I realized that this was still early in her career. Mm-hmm. Um, relatively, she is given so little to 
do in this. She just, for a lot of this movie, kind of stands around and is like the only bit. The only bit of character they really give her is when Cliff interrupts the date and she gets pissed off. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah, she gets she gets kind of two really good scenes, and one is when Cliff interrupts the the date with Sinclair. And she kind of gets mad at Cliff, and there's the whole, you're the rock of what, and, you know, she gets kind of one little bit in there. And the other is kind of later on where, you know, Sinclair kidnaps her, and she's alone in the house, and she's trying to figure out how to get out. And she gets her, you know, I finally got to play a scene with Sinclair. Yeah, when she figures out Sinclair's up to no good because we literally get the movie equivalent of, does this smell like chloroform to you? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a little bit earlier, you know, how how he gets her out of the restaurant, but yeah. But yeah, we get we get the, the bit in the, the cafe where the, the mobsters are confronting them and most of the mobsters leave to go confront Sinclair about like, Hey, are you double crossing the the boss and everything? But they leave two guys behind. And so here's, you know, all these grizzled mechanics and everything who take out these two mobsters, the gun goes off and ricochets into the attic where they've been hiding the, the rocket, the rocket gets hit and there's, now a fuel leak that they have to patch with gum and the gum is like a yeah a the, thing. the running gag of the gum the the lucky gum that that cliff has he shoots at the beginning of the movie he puts it on the tail of the uh of the plane for luck which uh uh pv rips off which causes it to crash he uh pv puts the gum on the rocket for luck because hey the last time he took gum off <laughs> cliff crashed they use the gum to patch up the bullet hole, leaking out the uh, the uh, the fuel, and saying, you know, if he if he keeps getting shot, that fuel's gonna explode. Foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the thing about the gum is kind of an inside joke, because apparently the uh, this particular type of gum was thought to prevent uh, seasickness and airsickness. Beeman's gum. Yeah, this this particular um, chewing gum at the time. Uh, so a lot of pilots would chew that particular brand, apparently, in order to... Uh, fight it and it shows up in a lot of uh movies and stuff that have like pilots or seamen you know things like that that will be like oh hey you know um i think it shows up in like the the right stuff as well um about the astronauts so you know they're test pilots and and uh, astronauts and, and all so uh it's it was apparently a thing at the time and persisted through like the 60s or something that 
uh, military guys and, and pilots and stuff would think that this gum helped them somehow. But apparently it was just a superstition and there's not really any like scientific basis to him. So when he's shown to be like really superstitious that this gum, you know, and he's like putting it on the, the tail fin um, of the plane and things like that, that it's supposed to be like an inside joke of the pilot mm -hmm. doing that. So when he uses it to patch up the rocket and they're talking about like, well, I hope it's lucky for, you know, rockets too and everything. It's all supposed to be this big inside joke about how this particular brand of gum <laughs> was this like meme among pilots and astronauts and stuff for years about chew this and it'll keep you safe or keep you from being nauseated or something. Because, like, I don't know, apparently the gum was supposed to have, like, this chemical in it or something that helped your digestion or what. I don't know. Anyway, it was a thing. But I, I thought it was interesting that, like, they turned it into a whole plot point in this film. So... Uh, going back to Jennifer Connelly, the only uh, we the, you know the first scene is when she gets confronting Cliff over ruining her date with uh, Sinclair. Second good part is like you said, she actually smartens up. She actually uh, figures out that uh, that Sinclair is not the good guy he claims to be. You know, he just did chloroform her to put her in his bed, but. Well, at first she's like, oh, do you have to drug all your women? Because I, I don't know how much she's figuring out that he's part of an entire plot. Like, her boyfriend did tell her, like, oh, I'm the Rocketeer. And he's trying to, like, he's working with mobsters to try to steal this rocket. But I don't think... You know, I, I don't think she had really clued into how, like, absolutely serious it was, as in war effort serious. She really doesn't get see how serious it is until she sees the uh, the radio it, room. The, the yeah, the radio room. Yeah. She starts calling for help. Hears Germans on the other side of the radio. She sees a copy of Mein Kampf. Right next to the radio, she figures it out. Yes, Neville Sinclair, the third most popular actor in Hollywood, as he says, is a Nazi spy. And that, yeah, that, and he has a whole speech where he's like, you know, yeah, uh, what <laughs> a spy, a fascist. Oh yes, all of the about, you know, like. They want to make sure that you absolutely get it. Like, yes, I'm the bad guy. Eventually, Cliff ends up going. Uh, uh, Cliff, he tries to to get to to save Jenny. He gets arrested by the feds. He takes him to Howard Hughes. PBS told him all of the story, of what's going on, and then we get that 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 uh, propaganda video about Germans using the rocket to take over the U the U.S. But he's got to use the rocket one more time. He's got to save Jenny. Sinclair wants to want, wants to make a deal. The rocket for the girl. 
but Hughes wants his rocket back. So what do you, what do? And uh, then run away uh, and use the rocket yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, use the rocket anyway. But you know, uh, Cliff does have a bit of a plan, and that is to just tell the truth. Hey, Valentine, the guy you're working for was working for Hitler. And I I love how absolutely incensed Valentine the mobster is because he's like, you know, I may be a mobster, I may be a criminal. But I'm an American criminal, damn it. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's that infamous Marvel DC crossover that has Joker telling the Red Skull to, you know, I, I, that is something very similar, which is like, you know, I'm, I may be a psychopath, but at least I'm an American psychopath, you know? It's like, and then we get the apparently the feds had followed Clef and are now arresting all all of the gangsters, which leads us to the final battle on the Nazi airship. Yeah, because even though the feds have showed up, unfortunately, uh, Sinclair called the Nazis too, which is weird because apparently there were just like a whole like German battalion just hanging out in the Hollywood Hills. I guess. I guess. Because there's just like a whole bunch of Nazi soldiers just pop out in the area around the Griffith Observatory and a fully inflated Nazi Zeppelin just like flying over the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, just pops pops out of nowhere. Nobody saw that, I guess. I don't know where they were hiding that. So, yeah. And there's this really weird beat where the feds and the Valentine gang are shooting at the Nazis, look at each other, and just keep shooting at the Nazis. Yeah, they were like, well, okay, we can finish our beef later. Right now there's Nazis to punch, so <laughs> grab your Tommy gun and go to it. So, yeah, there's there's this kind of weird, uneasy truce where everybody's just like, yeah, okay, we can deal with that later. Nazis now. Yeah. Cliff ends up grabbing one of the guns off one of the dead people. I'm not, I think it's one of the gangsters. I'm not sure. He grabs one of the guns off one of the dead people, flies up to the the Zeppelin and immediately drops the gun when, uh, when well, he, he brought a gun to a wrench fight. Cause Lothar just like pops out of the top of the, the airship with a wrench and starts trying to, because, you know, in, in this scenario, it's usually, you know, he, he, we find, you know, the, the the Chekhov's gun theory. Everyone knows that. You find the gun and then the gun gets used later. Now we're going to throw that out completely. Yeah, the gun just falls over the side of the ship and just falls back down to the ground somewhere. It's never to be seen again. But, um, yeah, so L- Lothar is smart enough at least in the short term to tether himself to the ship so that he doesn't also fall off the side um he doesn't have but, a rocket <laughs> yeah he doesn't have a rocket so um cliff uh you know rockets around and he's able to escape the deadly wrench of lothar uh knocking him off knocking him and there's a nice little joke there because we, we, we go back into the airship as they as they sing, oh, no, oh, are you sure this guy's good? Yeah, he's the best pilot in Germany. As the tether Lothar crashes through the ca- crashes through the captain's pit, knocking the captain right off the airship. 
Yeah. Well, well we're not in Germany, so he's not the best pilot anymore. <laughs> and there he goes. The only thing is, is that there's another funny thing of there's a guy that's like low rent, uh, taught from Indiana Jones. Like he's got the same little wire rim glasses and the black fedora. It's like he looks like that same character. He's been giving Sinclair a bunch of grief and everything. And like once things start going sideways uh, there and the windows start getting broken and Lothar's hanging off the side and everything, and the they've Zeppelin's lost their going pilot. Down. And he's yeah. like, We're, we've got too much weight and everything. You know, the, the taut looking guy is like, oh, uh, you know, I should have known this would go wrong. You actor. And then, like, Sinclair just turns around and, like, kicks him off the airship. He shoots him. He just shoots him. Oh, yeah. He shoots him and uh, uh, makes him fall out of the airship. And the the captain gets, like, really upset. And Sinclair's like, you know, for the fatherland. And the guy's like, uh, yeah, for the fatherland. Anyway. So, anyway, we get to the, 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 the climax of this part where... Cliff enters uh, the little pit there, the little cabin, as uh, we got ye, ye old standoff where, you know, give me the rocket or I'll, I'll kill your girlfriend thing. With no choice, he does give him the rocket, but, and true to his word, uh, Sinclair lets, uh, lets Jenny go. And then Jenny wants to play hero and fires a flare gun in the cockpit. Hey, remember what I said in last week's episode about don't put the combustible thing near the stuff that combusts? Yeah, maybe don't do that, Jenny. Smart, smart girl. Fire in an airship. Oh, the humanity. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's an airship full of Nazis, so humanity's on short supply. Yeah. The, so, uh, well, what we haven't said is that uh, the the rocket has been shot up quite a bit during this entire scuffle. Well, it it the the rocket has actually survived much. What what actually happens though is that Cliff uh, decides to hand over the rocket, but he uses his thumb to peel off the gum that's been holding the rocket together for the last act of the movie. Um, so there's and, just fuel dripping right out of that rocket. So uh, he's like, yeah, you go ahead and put that rocket on. You fly on out of here, Sinclair. That's fine. Go ahead. Uh, and that's fire. what he does. And he just explodes in a ball of fire and fuel and hits the Hollywood Land sign. If we ever wondered... Why it says Hollywood and not Hollywood land. Now you know the rest of the story. There's two uh, really good jokes here. One is when he says, uh, I'm I'm gonna, uh, where's your stuntman now? And Sinclair says, I do my own stunts, uh, which is a bit of an inside joke because... Dalton was known as the uh, Bond actor at the time who actually did do most of his own stunts. The uh, other is when he gets out of the, when he's about to fly off, he says, I'm going to miss Hollywood. And he does. He only hits the land part. 
<laughs> he he misses the part of the sign that says Hollywood, and he takes out the part of the sign that says Land. So it's a nice little nice little visual gag there. I'm gonna miss Hollywood, and he does. Um, but I I like that bit. Uh, now comes the part where uh we have to try to outrun the exploding fire. Uh, hey, Jenny. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny, for setting our our uh, airship on fire with the flare gun. Enter Howard Hughes in a in a gyroplane. Well, plane. well, th- we get we get our final stand of Lothar. Uh, first uh, first off, yeah. Uh, Lothar is still tethered to the ship. It was a good idea earlier, not so much now because he can't get the tether off of him in time. Bye bye, Lothar. Uh, Lothar burns with the airship as it crashes and uh, Howard Hughes saves the day in a, in a gyro plane. Auto gyro to the rescue. (laughs) Keep her steady. We're only going to have one shot at this. Every time I see an auto gyro, I think of the Pippi Longstocking movie. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, they 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 throw a ladder down as and Cliff and Jenny grab onto it and they they fly with, with Howard Hughes in the auto gyro. <laughs> yeah. Um I must say that if there's anything in this movie that hasn't aged well, it's the green screen technology. Yeah, sadly the special effects in this movie are all kind of not great. Uh it is like you can see the lines around the actors when they do it, like when Cliff is doing his flying, when we see the final flight with uh, Sinclair, when we see the actors in, in, in the auto gyro, it, the green screen has not aged very well. Yeah. All, all of the matte lines are heavily prevalent. It's especially bad in ultra high def. You know, I, I don't know if they tried to do any high def conversion, but if they did, it did not go well. It's just it's we're really not rough. gonna get we're not gonna get Rocketeer special edition. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if if they would bother trying. I mean, it, I, I would be for it if they did, but um, it just right now as it looks, it looks very dated. But you know, we we get the kind of next day at the diner and they're all enjoying breakfast or whatever the the news has reported that Sinclair was sadly killed when falling debris from burning Nazis crashed onto his touring car and sadly killed him <laughs> yeah even in hollywood they have to protect even well, though one of the well, top- Protect the reputation of the film that I'm sure they're desperately trying to cut together from what what he was filming. We gotta save the studio. Yeah, it would be it would be bad for the for the studio that has the rights to all of his movies that would like to put out a remembering Neville Sinclair retrospective in theaters now. Considering to... the film that Sinclair was filming had him in a mask, they could have easily even had another actor do those mask scenes and then just use the yeah just never unmask him just have him masked throughout the rest of the film yeah audiences will never know right 
<laughs> we get our we get our final little bit where Howard Hughes shows up with a brand new stunt plane for Cliff and leaves the uh the blueprints for a new rocket so PV can build a better rocket, but a better uh, rocket for yeah, because you we did skip over, but Hughes was very impressed with PV's modifications to the rocket that it actually flew more steady than it did in in test flights. Yeah, but uh, Cliff uh, Cliff is is too busy making out with Jennifer Connelly, and I don't blame the guy. Yeah, I mean that 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 looks like a thing that you could do. Uh, the the thing is, is that it it all ends happily, and you know everybody's safe except for the Nazis who are all dead, which is fine. They um there is set up for a sequel that will never happen, unfortunately. Yeah, the the thing is though is I will say that this film, you know, I I loved this film so much as a kid. I don't know about you, but I watched this film over and over and over and over as a kid. I did not, but that was a point in my life where I wasn't really interested in the live action end of Disney. I was always into the animation. But now going back through through the through this podcast, going through these movies, these are it's this is one of those good. I can see why this movie has its fans. I can. It's definitely uh, what when what what one would call a hidden gem. It's good. It's not perfect. I feel it's the limitations of 1990s film technology. Like if you were to just do this movie today, you know, on the level of that first Captain America movie, it would be amazing. Yeah, I think, though, that looking back on it, I remember what I liked about it. And I still like all those same things. However, I remember this movie, like, it had probably been 20 years since I sat down and watched this movie, maybe. Mm. I remember this as a Nazi puncher movie. Seriously, that's Mm. what I remember this movie as. I remember this as a guy with a rocket pack fighting Nazis. And when I sat down to watch this movie again, I was like, weren't there supposed to be Nazis in this movie? And the Nazis don't even show up until the third act. And the Nazis show up like 10 minutes until the end of the movie. There is not even, except for when he takes his girlfriend on a date and there is a newsreel playing before the movie. And it's like, boy, that Hitler is getting up to some stuff in Europe. And and that's like the only mention that it is wartime America. And there are Nazis. And there's kind of a mention that they're going to see a war picture where Sinclair plays a a military guy. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is the only mention that this is wartime until you get to the part where he, Cliff, is brought into Howard Hughes's office. And Howard Hughes is like, hey, we really need that rocket back and let me show you why. And he shows him the German propaganda film. That's it. That Like, you get that far into the movie before it's even brought up why the rocket is important. 
And I feel like that's one of the issues as an adult with this movie. Like, as a kid, you're just like, wow, rocket go fast in the air. There's a dude with a jetpack. Yay. You know? Mm-hmm. And, like, at 11 or 12 or whatever I was watching this movie, I didn't care because it's dude with jetpack and you're never not going to be into that. But as an adult who demands, like, plot and stuff, um, you're kind of like, is there a point to him having this rocket other than mobsters want it and maybe he should return it to the rich guy that developed it? Because, like, it is technically stolen property, but also it's a rich guy, so who cares? Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. And as a person who had seen the movie as a kid, I'm like, I really want him to get around to punching some Nazis when do the Nazis show up again? Because I didn't exactly remember the flow of the story because, like I said, 20 years or so. So that kind of, I don't know, it kind of annoyed me as an adult. Um, I think if I were to remake the movie for a modern audience, I would I would get to that bit a lot faster. I think there's a lot of padding in this movie that does not need to be there. You're right. I mean, we skip 50% of the movie and none of the plot got lost. There is the first two thirds of the movie are easily just filler. It's really just a guy tinkering around with a jetpack. There is not a lot of plot in there. The love interest is very weakly written, as in they they do not give her a lot to do. As a character, you cannot name a lot of character traits about her other than woman who wants to be an actress. Like, you don't know a lot about her beyond that. And I think that that is unfortunate because Jennifer Connelly is excellent and could have done a lot with that character. I think a lot of it came down to the fact that they wanted it to mostly be a vehicle for toys and then they never got around to making those toys. So they wanted to emphasize, hey kids, it's a guy with a jetpack. And they forgot to do the plot. Like this is coming off, like like we mentioned, it's coming off the 89 Batman movie, which was the big blockbuster hit, but also sold a lot of toys. Oh, yeah, so many toys. And Disney is just looking at, look how many toys we can sell with this superhero. And And I think they could have if there had been more plot. Yeah. I think that people forget that things like My Little Pony, for instance, those don't sell a lot of toys because kids look at them and go like, oh, wow, it, it looks pretty and stuff. It's like, no, it's because little kids sit on the playground and go like, what do you think your cutie mark would be? I think my cutie mark would be this. Do you think you'd be like a unicorn or a regular pony or a pegasus or, a you know, like there are like knockdown drag out fights of like what part of the lore you'd be into. Okay. It's not just because it's a toy. It's because there's a story 
I know people, and you do too, because you are into this, you know, you don't collect, you know, Transformers or Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or whatever, just because it's a cool toy. You will have massive discussions about the story behind that toy. Even when we were kids and watching stuff like He-Man or Ninja Turtles, it wasn't just the action, it was the characters and the story behind these characters. Even if it's just a 30-minute story, but we can understand that story and, okay, this thing was cool, I like this character because this thing happened and it's cool. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot, you know... I mean, which Ninja Turtle were you was basically like, you know, your astrology or something, you know, it's like. First thing you had was with which Ninja Turtle are you? Which Power Ranger are you? Which color would you wear if you were a Power Ranger? You know, what color lightsaber would you have? I mean, these are all like, you know, personality tests for millennials. You know, it's 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 what it is. And, I and we were having that, those discussions on the schoolyard. Yeah, we were at the time. I mean, like, 80s, 90s schoolyards were just filled with stuff like that. And I think that when you get into generations older than that, that were doing the business end of that, they were like, oh, they like it because it's a piece of plastic with fun colors. It's like, no, there's a story behind that. People like Batman because then they can identify with Batman in some way. Yeah. Could and, we could we identify with Cliff as the Rocketeer? Yeah, and I think that that was the thing is even watching the the Rocketeer so many times and stuff. It's a good film. I'm not I'm not knocking the film. I'm saying it could have been a better film with a little bit more love and care. I respect what everybody in this film tried to do. What I do not respect is what certain people above them in the business end of the studio disallowed because of, oh yeah, just shove that through and make a cool toy out of it because that's never going to work. You know, every time we've seen people try to do that it never quite turns out the way Mm -hmm. um because it immediately is weird and shallow and people do pick up on that and i'm not saying that weird shallow fads don't hit sometimes because they do but the ones that actually become huge franchises and stuff are the ones that you know kind of do have stories behind them and put in the work maybe just give it to people that actually care about it and understand it and then let them do what they know how to do and then just trust that and then we can make a toy after afterwards and it'll Mm -hmm. sell You know, because that's what happens. All right. So let's ask the question, Kiki, does the Rocketeer have the magic? You know, in spite everything, I I still like this movie. I I do. I do like this movie. I, I think this movie deserved better than what it got. 
it deserves <laughs> it deserves it, you know it's like I said it's it's definitely one of those diamond in the rough movies it's definitely uh, a gem here you know if 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 you're one of those people like me who weren't really into the live action stuff you missed out on a really good movie and I think more people should go back and and give this thing a shot I think it you know. I think it is deserving since, you know, apparently Disney still has the rights to this character, you know, give it a shot again, you know, not just as a preschool series, but, you know, give me the six episode Disney plus series on this, move it up a couple of decades. You could still use, you know, you could still use Billy Campbell. You know know what? I'm, I mean, Billy Campbell still got it. You know, I mean, it's, it's fine, but I would also say more Nazi punching. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 fine. I I, I mean, that's that's what I say about everything though. <laughs> I mean, we we've kind of done the trifecta of Nazi punching movies on Disney Plus with the Captain America, uh Bed Knobs and Broomsticks and the Rocketeer. Yeah. You know, if if they if they do something like that, it and they've talked about it for a while. I mean, the last time they they talked about it was uh, as as recently as 2020, mm-hmm. um, or or you know 2020 2021. You know, uh, they're they continue to to want to remake this in various forms, uh, which I'm not against, but if they if they do it maybe do it more in the spirit of the original if not necessarily the the exact you know i don't need everything to be an exact remake of the comic i'm not that person but at least give it the the spirit of what the creator was going for yeah so and 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 give the love interest a little bit more to do whether she's Betty or Jenny or whoever give her more to do yeah that would that would be great as well yeah so uh, let's move on programming note uh, we are going to attempt to do an extra episode this week on Thor Love and Thunder hopefully it will be out later this week but if that's not what you're into if you want to go if you don't want to be spoiled by the new Thor movie, come back next week as uh, Kiki. I think it's time to find a little religion as we go to the Whoopi Goldberg movie Sister Act. Yeah, that one's that was going to be a fun one. I I haven't seen that one in quite a few years, but it's another one that was a constant repeat when I was uh, a kid. So we'll too, we'll yeah. see how that one holds up. Another cl- another. Uh, classic another home video classic in in my household yeah same so we're gonna we're gonna see how sister act holds up next week again uh stay stay on the podcast feed look for the thor love and thunder uh discussion episode and uh we will talk to you all next week Bye. bye if you want to help the fight for human rights in the u.s The American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. 
If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.